0: Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. This week I'm with wildlife camerawoman Jessica Mitchell, who is well known for her variety of work including time-lapse, topside and especially underwater. She's filmed for groups such as Natural World, BBC and Oxford Scientific Films to name a few. There's a link in the description to buymeacoffee.com and you can help the podcast by donating £3 to help keep it going, which I'll use for web hosting, definitely not coffee as I can't stand it, give me Earl Grey any day. Today we cover the pressures of being a wildlife camera op, whether it should even be called cameraman or camera operator and the distinct lack of women in that role, plus much more. Here's our chat so welcome to the podcast Jess
1: hi Jack how's it going
0: yeah good thank you how about yourself
1: oh very good thank you
0: good stuff now we I think we realized we were chatting the other day that we were at uni together weren't we and I think you were the year above me
1: yes I think so I was doing my final year when you were in your second year I believe
0: Uh, Okay, Uh, that would be right. But so we don't think we've met, but we must have, we must have like walked past each other or something. But you just have been
1: at the Stannery or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But we just didn't realize at the time. But that brings me on to my first question, really, which is how did you start out in wildlife filmmaking?
1: It actually started a long time before I went to Falmouth. I have been taking pictures all of my life. You know, I've always ended up with a camera. We'd have like little disposables on holiday, and I'd always end up just you know, reeling them all off. So I think that was always predestined in me, as well as also loving the sea. My dad would always have to sort of pull me out of the sea, half hypothermic. and would be like, No, no, no! I need, I need to be in the water. No, you need to. It's cold. You need to come in now. The the actual love of it has has always been there, and I think probably about fifteen years ago I started taking photography seriously, and um, it's spiraled into the crazy weird career that I have now so it's taken I'd say 15 years of me actually taking uh photography seriously to get to a place where I feel like I'm able to earn a living comfortably from it
0: <laughs> yeah because you're you're Cornwall based aren't you? Are, you are you from Cornwall originally did you say I can't remember if you said from you from Cornwall
1: were. originally you are oh, yeah okay yeah from Cornwall originally so I thought it made sense to go to university that was on the doorstep. yeah and moved to Bristol after leaving university to sort of try and get in with the natural history unit and just do some work out based out of Bristol and, and just see what the wildlife filmmaking industry was like. And I haven't, I, I kind of haven't left Bristol really, but I'm physically elsewhere at the moment.
0: <laughs> I think everyone has to have a, at least a foot in Bristol, don't they? Just to kind of keep some of the the work coming in, I guess. But I mean, we, we did a whole podcast early on actually about like, do you have to live in Bristol to be a, a wildlife filmmaker? And I'm sure some, some would say that it, it's a must and others would say it's not necessary, but I think I kind of fall into the, the latter camp to a degree.
1: I think stuff's changed now because of coronavirus for sure I think everyone's realising that stuff can be done remotely and actually you can arrange a meeting and it can be at some point and you just make sure you turn up it doesn't matter where you're coming from you know I'm, I'm actually it's been a little bit difficult thinking or oh, am I doing the right thing moving back down to Cornwall and I've I've had this whole sort of debate with myself it's like am am I taking myself away from where I need to be. And actually, the more i thought about it, like, no, where I need to be is where I can be diving, where I can get in the water often, where I can practice my skills, where I can get in with te- cameras and test them and stuff like that. And actually, this is really where I need to be right now at this particular stage. I'm not saying that I, I won't go back there again. I may well do. But um, at the moment, I definitely, for for my, <laughs> my own mental well-being as well need to be Cornwall and nosy
0: yeah no i don't blame you i think that's a good way of looking at it as well like i think it it it's definitely pays you to make those connections in bristol but ultimately it's going to be better where you can do the work that you enjoy and maybe that you specialize in or, or whatever and and be near all that kind of stuff so if someone was was starting out is there any advice that you'd give them saying that you've had this kind of long and varied career is there anything you'd like this is what you need to do early on. Or maybe I'll rephrase that question. Actually, if you could talk to a younger version of you and give yourself (laughs) some advice, what would that advice be?
1: Um, Probably like, just don't lose faith. If there's something that you really believe that you can achieve, you can achieve it. Just don't let any obstacles stand in the way. Don't let people saying things about you stand in the way don't let you saying things about you stand in the way I think that's our biggest hurdle actually as as creative people we are our own enemies and we're our own worst critics and a lot of the time you don't actually release things to the world for fear of it not being received well or fear of someone's not going to like it so
0: yeah yeah no <laughs> I think it. yeah I think so yeah and and like you say we people concentrate on um other people putting them down but sometimes it's you you're, you're your own worst enemy and yeah I definitely uh agree with that I I, I don't know if there's a name for it I sometimes get uh photo- I call it photography blues but it's where I just lose a bit of it I don't know what you would say lose inspiration or lose the drive uh yeah. to take pictures for a and, and video for ages and then all of a sudden I'll do one shoot and it just gets me back into it maybe something really exciting and and that'll get me back doing it. But I guess we all have ups and downs with what we do.
1: Definitely.
0: Yeah. And it
1: get like that with professional photography, I
0: think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it can be pretty up and down with it, certainly. And I increasingly as well, I'm trying to remember to use the term camera operator as opposed to cameraman. So do you think that we should be leaning more that way? Because I guess it's been so long in the industry. People have been saying that. But obviously things are more diverse now. So do you think that's more the way that it should uh that it should go?
1: That's an interesting question, Jack. And there's there's no correct answer to it. Um <laughs> really. No. Uh just because obviously we're we're in an age where everything should be a bit more inclusive of you, you know what people want to be known as and, and how people want to be treated and things like that. But with with regard to camera operator cameraman camera i think the term camera operator doesn't actually sort of give off the level of skill that that person needs to actually do their job so i do in this instance regardless of whether it's actually meant as as, as a gender specific role or not i feel like cameraman Cameraman is definitely what the role is. Camerawoman, yes, as well. Like the, the two are interchangeable, but essentially it is a cameraman. You know, when when you are searching for people online and things like that, you're looking for an underwater cameraman, aren't you? You're, you're going to look for a cameraman. So ultimately, even as a female, I have to accept the fact that I need to put cameraman in my SEO for my website and stuff like that. I know that people are going to be looking for cameraman. There will be some people who might be completely uh, women positive and might be actually looking specifically for a camera woman, and then they'll t- search for camera camerawoman. So I kind of need to cover that demographic as well. But I, I don't, I wouldn't take offence if someone was asking for a cameraman unless they were asking like sort of in a way of it being a bit, Derogatory, if you yeah. know what I
0: mean. Yeah, yeah, I never looked at it like that, but that's a really good point that, like, cam- cameraman or camera woman definitely does sound more experienced or professional than camera operator. I don't know why, but it, def- it does sound a bit more like that. I guess maybe because it's not as used as often, but I never looked at it like that. That's a really good point. And what, what, what are the pressures of the job then? Because it's something that people never really talk about. They see this, that they see the last five minutes on the end of a blue chip and they're like, oh, wow, that looks absolutely amazing. But of course, there must be so many pressures that are specific to this, uh, this industry.
1: Oh, God, there are so many. And it's, it's not just down to you either. There's so many other people that are under pressure too. So you're essentially when you're on location, most of the work is done. All of the researching has been done, all of the logistics and everything's been sorted. They know what we're going to film. And basically, you're there to do what everyone else has been working really hard to do. So there's that element of oh i better not F this up. So yeah. it's just Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're there and you're like, right, okay, we've only got like one chance to do this. And hopefully everything falls into place. Hopefully the weather plays ball. Hopefully the cameras play ball. Hopefully the animal plays ball. That that's probably the most important thing is actually you can have all of your um everything in the right place at the right time but your animal might not decide to do what it's actually supposed to do yeah (laughs) why are you why are you not doing this thing (laughs) um and actually in those situations you just have to be like well you know we get it get it we don't we don't but we've tried we can't make things do things they're not supposed to be doing (laughs) yeah so yes it's TV at the end of the day, so yeah, there is pressure, but there it's also you have to accept that it's not, you know, life-changing surgery
0: or no, you know. no, no, no. Do, do you find it to be uh, cutthroat at all? Like, so say if you don't get the footage, do you think that the the people in charge and the bean counters kind of look at you a bit unfavorably, or or, or are they a little bit more understanding?
1: I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to tell you I have been on shoots that haven't succeeded and it they just work around it you know they'll find like maybe a slightly different narrative or they'll use different shots and things and or they might use archive so something might get brought in that was shot before but they're like oh we haven't quite got enough coverage of this they'll bring in some stuff maybe that's been shot before depending on budget or you know maybe they'll go and film it again next year if they've still got another year on the project there's there's lots of things that are possible and also it depends on the risk of the behavior that you're going to film as well because you've got probably like several high risk ones that are like oh my god this would be amazing if we could get and then you've also got like the slightly low risk ones that are maybe contingency
0: yeah so
1: if you're on like a contingency shoot then maybe if that goes wrong, <laughs> you're really not in a good position for the shoot at all, are you really?
0: No. And I guess I guess it depends where you're on the food chain as well. Like if you're a more experienced uh cameraman, cameraman, then they're probably not gonna they're not necessarily gonna blame you. It's like, well, that that's it. But if you're maybe a little bit lower and this is the shoot that's gonna make or break you and it goes tits up, yeah. then um it might make you sweat a little bit whether they're gonna use you or not. And I guess the producer's like, oh well. They did. It. They didn't quite do it. Maybe find someone else, or I don't know. I guess each producer is completely different, and it depends on on what behavior you're trying to film.
1: Um, the thing is with that, the I've found that producers and directors and people that make the decisions as to who gets the job, they look very carefully at what you've done before. They'll yeah. look at your story reel. They'll look at your CV. They'll speak to people. Um, obviously, you know, you may get a personal reference. Um, but at the end of the day, if they look at your showreel, or if you don't have a showreel at all and they can't actually see that you can do any work, then you're not going to get that job. So the, the chance that you're going to be put in a position that is so sink or swim is probably quite unlikely. Yeah. Um, because it, there's so much riding, so much money, and so much time and effort riding on these things that they're not going to want to take a punt on someone who's not experienced. They're going to want to go with a, a known entity someone they know that's going to be able to deliver
0: yeah well that makes sense like, I mean I guess with the blue chips it must be thousands and thousands of pounds that they're spending on uh some of these singular shoots so that that does make a lot of uh a lot of sense I, I guess it must as well that the, the job must take a toll on your social and family life to a degree not to get too personal but again it's a, another thing that people don't talk about but like um I mean the classic one that springs to mind is do you know Lindsay McRae
1: I don't. I know that. You, don't. Of her, you know, don't know,
0: you know of him. So like he he went to the Antarctic for eleven months filming and he, he missed the birth of his first child. Uh. So um there's things like that which people don't talk about and, and don't think about. But I, I, I know uh, of a few instances where yeah, it does take a toll on those sort of things.
1: Um I it's difficult to say really, because when I'm at home, I'm not working. Yeah. Um, so if, if I'm at home, then I can see people and, um, you know, obviously <laughs> earlier on when I was busting a gut to try and get jobs and things like that, I, I don't think I actually saw many friends at all, really no. everyone was like, "Oh, just see you actually alive, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just working really, really hard. Uh, can you do something like next March? Like I, I don't actually know, I might be away. I might not be, I Yes yeah but I um there's this like dis- disclaimer for everyone that knows me that it's like actually like yes at the moment my diary is free but something might come up by then so I can't actually guarantee that I'm going to be available but I, I will do my best <laughs> um so yeah social life uh, my family I, I really I don't see my family as much as I should I, I haven't this past year or so anyway but I don't think anyone has but I definitely don't see and spend as much time with my family as I could but I'm working hard now that I've got a decent foundation to carve that aspect of life so that I can enjoy the things that I've worked hard for yeah um, so I'm sort of I'm at I'm at a point where I'm I'm thinking right okay gonna be a bit more settled gonna focus, I know exactly what path I want to be taking now and what what I need to do to expand and so I, I can sit back and enjoy social things a bit more now. I can enjoy having a barbecue with my friends and actually going to the beach and not taking the camera for five minutes.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess on paper, it, it can be quite unsociable because typically you're, you're up very early and you you might you might be out particularly late and they're the best times to shoot and you, you're away from friends and family. So um, I guess it depends how busy you are on, on what you're doing. But I, I would think, it like you mentioned, early on in your career... It can certainly take uh, a bit of a toll on those sort of things. Yeah. It's
1: definitely worth the effort, though. If you do, oh
0: yeah, if you yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess it just depends on what drive you've got and whether you want to, you know, push those sort of uh, sort of things. Uh, mm-hmm. Another thing that, again, and there might not be an answer to this question, but I thought I'd, I'd flush it past you. But do you think there are any elements of privilege in wildlife filmmaking? which I know might which I know might be a difficult one to pull a thread on, but I'll, I'll I'll say what I say anyway, and then you can add to it if you like. But like, if you look at a lot of... Uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but if you look at a lot of wildlife camera ops, they tend to be white, male and middle class, overwhelmingly. Nearly everyone's got a double-barrel name. I don't know why that's a thing in wildlife <laughs> filmmaking, but nearly yeah. everyone has got that. And uh, in fact, to the point that... I won't name it, but one of my friends was considering changing his name to have a double barrel because he thought it'd get more work um I, so yeah but um but there is I mean, again and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that I, it's just an observation uh but I don't know what your thoughts are on it
1: um it's it's a difficult question to answer without causing offense to someone yeah down
0: the line. I know I know
1: I know So I will I'll answer it as best as I can <laughs> in that context because of you know essentially I'm still a small wheel so any,
0: I, <laughs> any yeah, comments I, that I have I don't want you to burn any bridges before they're built so no that's <laughs> fine
1: is that getting any comments that I have on it are um purely my own and not representative of it, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a disclaimer uh, at the beginning
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I actually made a few notes on this particular thing because it is something that is being discussed quite quite a lot at the moment especially um there's a group of us uh there's a group of females who, who are quite high up in the industry along with some camera operators and assist and, and aspiring assistants and operators to create a network of, of support and things like that so that's something that we're working on at the moment and we're actually discussing the concept of this at the moment and what it actually means in the industry. And I think it's it's unfair to say that privilege comes in one particular form because there are actually lots of different branches to it. You know, a, a privilege could be a skin color. It could also be the amount of money that you have or the person that you know. So there's there's many different types. So to say that like one, is privileged in the industry, like you like well, you know, in what way?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Kind of the right question um to be asking. So um factually and statistically there are more male white um slightly more monetarily enhanced men in the industry, um specifically in the technical roles. Yeah. But it's unfair to say that those men have been given the money in a hereditary way. You know, they may well have worked very hard. Um, You know, it's it's unfair to judge how that person's acquired that privilege at all in, in this instinct, because someone might have been left some money and they're like, actually, I'm going to go and buy a red. Um, and yeah. they've, you know, they've spent a hundred thousand pounds on camera kit that they want, and they know that they're going to be able to to make a living out of. So it's unfair for for me to pass judgment on that person because they've worked hard. Um, there there are acts of nepotism, um, but I think they're fewer and further between as we sort of go on. Now everything everything's changing. I think a lot of people are realizing that this needs a bit of a shake up at the moment. And um, there's obviously then also the question of your identification as well. Um, I, there's the identification question and there's the race question here too. Um, statistically, there are less you know, black females in the industry than there are white females you know, that, that's a fact. And it's the same with the other minorities. There are going to be less of those people, but it's not necessarily because they're not talented enough. It could actually genuinely be down to the fact that they haven't been given the opportunity to get their hands on a camera or even even touch um, and play with lights and things like that. And, and actually experience photography so that they know that they want to go and do that as a career. So it's kind of, it's a very, it's a very difficult and broad. Is it is the right word? Broad, broad-edged sword.
0: Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, and also, obviously, then you don't only have that to contend with. You also have the fact that some people do have quite a lot of money, um, and they also have a lot of support as well. Like they, they could. Go away for periods of time and not necessarily have too many responsibilities by way of family or finances and things. And they can afford to go away for a few months, filming, getting their show reel together, and come back. And then they can go run hit, you know, hit the circuit and say, "Hey, here's my stuff. I'm an operator now." Um, and they can also. It's about having. It's kind of like a capital thing, actually. It's about. It's kind of about the amount of capital that you have. If you have. A bit of capital, then you can actually afford to withstand the periods of drought that will inevitably occur in yeah. your career. So that there are periods of time that you'll have no work, um, and you need the wherewithal, finance-wise, and also you know mental health-wise. But that's another uh, that's another <laughs> uh, bow. That's another. Yeah yeah that's another bow string to the bow there we go um oh god sorry that's
0: that's okay (laughs) Um, there's normally a phone goes off in every podcast so that's um
1: so yeah you need enough capital to actually be able to to keep yourself in the industry as well because it might well be that you know maybe you're um looking for some jobs and you're going you're having interviews and things but you're looking at a bank account and it's literally like oh god i've got like five pounds can I shall I get a coffee or shall I just go yeah. and having that stress is quite difficult and that will make or break whether you stay in the industry or not a lot of the time it's not necessarily whether you're actually capable of doing the work it's whether you can afford to wait for the big jobs that are going to define your career yeah a lot of the time
0: yeah no I, I completely agree with what you're saying um, I, I think when you look at uh perhaps people just starting out as well and let's say they are from a a more disadvantaged background whatever that may be um it is tough if you haven't got some of the better camera equipment i'm not saying you have to have good camera equipment to take good shots but it certainly helps and if you haven't got the money to maybe go to these different places to build up a big show reel, again you can do an amazing show reel closer to home but it's going to help if you go to a variety of amazing places so maybe if so and uh, again, I'm trying to word this diplomatically as possible, without, um, you know, if you have got the money for those sort of things, it is gonna give you a natural leg up. And I think that is a, it is a shame. And that's that's not necessarily the fault of the person who has that money. Like you said, there's all kinds of reasons why they could have that money. But it does mean that people who don't come from those backgrounds are gonna be at a natural disadvantage, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, that
0: you know, that's... is what I would, yeah. would say. And you touched on it a little bit there as well. Um, and again, I don't know if there is an answer to this, but we're, we're doing all the hard-hitting questions. Normally it's a very, very light, light podcast. We're going a bit uh, a bit deep today, but um why do you think there are so few women uh, or camera women compared to men?
1: Uh, well, this is again, this is something that we've been discussing <laughs> recently, and just based on the the research of, of a small demographic, um I can honestly say that it's it's Not necessarily through lack of opportunity being there. Um, I think a lot of it is actually um, us as individuals holding ourselves back and maybe um, I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for myself. And I know that I'm really guilty of it. I'm guilty of not applying for something because I don't think I'm going to get it because I don't think I'm good enough. Um, And I know that. So many of my friends and peers—not um, not just females, males as well—will absolutely not apply for stuff because they don't think they're good enough. And it, it just sort it sort of looks like from our from our little pool of of people that have been talking about it that actually potentially the reason why they're not getting the jobs is because they're not putting themselves forward for them. Yeah. Um, they're there. The jobs are there. Um, there's also you know having the confidence to just reach out to people and get in touch with camera um get hold of cameras and get experience hands-on using them you know guys are really confident they seem to be like yeah right okay let's go and I think I think women um seem to be a little bit more apologetic they're sort of a bit more like Oh well, if it's not going to bother you, would you mind if I did this? And from my experience, guys seem to be a bit more right. Just go take it, and women yeah. will only do it if they're like ninety percent sure that they can do it.
0: Yeah, um, no, I, I think, yeah, maybe we are a little bit more gun ho and and kind of get on there. So yeah, it's it's a it is a really strange one because. There was a previous podcast i did with um sally LePage and we talked about this a little bit as well i think the last series of winter watch had there were no women camera operators uh at all on any of the vts or not and it was just like well is that i mean i'm, I'm sure it's not a conscious thing I'm, I'm sure they're not like we don't want any women working on this but it just seems strange that such a yeah. an iconic series of that um doesn't have any but like i said that could maybe come down to what you're saying as well where maybe a lot of women aren't putting themselves forward or they're not. I don't know. I don't know. It's a hard Yeah, uh, it's
1: difficult to say. Yeah you, it is. And then also of the people that do put themselves forward are and this goes for men as well. Of, yeah. of any people that put themselves forward for any jobs, no matter what company, are the percentage of people who put themselves forward um who are women actually is good. Um
0: yeah.
1: you know I I I, I can save this because I'm i am I'm a woman. We're exploring all of this at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not being like politically incorrect right now. I'm, I'm including myself in this. Are we good enough? And if we are good enough, why are we not able to show that we're good enough?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, is,
1: is there something that we're missing?
0: Yeah, well, it's true, because I guess you could almost look at it from the other side of the foot as well. And you, you want to be really i guess you want to be used because you're the best for the job not because you're ticking a box mm-hmm. i mean some people might not necessarily agree with that but i think that it shouldn't it shouldn't really at the end of the day it shouldn't matter i get that people will for example women will emphasize more with another woman or maybe someone from a different ethnic background is more likely to emphasize with someone from their ethnic background but i guess at the end of the day it's it's whoever's best suited for that job mm. potentially but it I don't should know. be yeah it should be
1: yeah. Um it, it's it's fair to say that that's not how it is all the time.
0: No, um, no, no, no. That's
1: life, isn't yeah. it? Isn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's a tricky one, isn't it? And um I thought anyway that we would end on a slightly lighter note because this has been great stuff and I oh, actually what I will say before we leave that topic is you mentioned about this group. Um if there are any I mean I don't know if it's open to other women if they wanted to join in but is it is it a closed thing or how it's, are
1: you it's closed at the moment okay. because we're just trying to sort of work on getting getting the women that are sort of being seen as assistant level but not quite able to break into the operator level okay and we we have an international um network of people okay um, and we, we're expanding all the time okay um but we we are actively sort of like trying to make things better so that it can go for wider a wider audience
0: okay um, but and hopefully pre-
1: encourage more women into the industry and into technical and craft yeah. roles
0: but presumably if uh there is a woman camera up listening to this and they needed a bit of advice or help they could kind of get in touch oh, with the yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. get yeah. in okay. touch we'll, we'll okay. add them yeah um, okay
1: yeah, if they're if if they're in if they're interested and they want to get to know more um more women especially in yeah. the industry and, and gain um access to a really supportive community of people, then like absolutely yeah, just get yeah. in touch.
0: Cool. Well I'll, I'll put Jess's uh detail at the in the description of this if people want to check that out. But like I say, we'll we'll end on a slightly lighter note. So you you know you've had an incredibly uh interesting career going all over the world filming all kinds of different wildlife and I just wondered is there a wildlife encounter that stands out to you is there one I'm sure there's many but is there one that you were like wow because obviously you do a hell of a lot of underwater and I know you do topside as well but is there one that stands out
1: um to, to be honest every time I go in the water I have one that's like oh my god yeah totally doing the right thing here um there was There was um, a time when I was in North, this is probably notably the most incredible experience of my life where I'm like, I have to, I want to be doing this every single day. Um, And it was when I was uh, snorkeling with humpback and Orca uh, to film them for a project and it was just, just being in the water with them coming up all around. and obviously, like, there's a bit of danger there and the humpbacks don't have echolocation, so they don't know that you're there. They're just coming up. They're fishing. They're feeding. They're, like, totally, completely immersed in what they're doing. If you're in the way, then woe betide you. Um, And just sort of being in the water with these magnificent, huge, powerful beasts coming up, like, two metres away from you is just so exhilarating and so um, it just completely brought me to life and I just didn't want to be anywhere other than there like it's it's, being in the water with big mammals is a very special experience especially when you're in a beautiful landscape as well like the like the Arctic Circle you know you can't you can't ask for a better experience than that really with the sun going down and you big Big mammals going around you it's just yeah it's incredible um, so it's, so it's really
0: you're more worried about the humpbacks and the killer whales then in a way yes i mean not that they're they're obviously not intending to hurt you it'd be completely by accident but it's just something that you're aware of so the orcas they they're not bothered by you at all uh,
1: to be it depends where you go because obviously orcas that are in different areas are going to predate on different things so um the orcas that we were filming specifically had um, an interest in herring so they're, they're not going to be looking at me a seal like creature. You, you don't black. look
0: like a herring Jess no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thankfully not. Yeah. I do look like a seal which I'm aware of um, but yeah the, because they the orca they don't they don't seem to be that interested in you at all They they might be at some point if you can catch them on the right day at the right time when they're you know they're not being protective but a lot of the time um they would be quite protective of the young and they'd split off into a group that group would circle around you and come back and um you, you sort of you could tell that they were being quite evasive they weren't really that interested in actually interacting like that yeah so in terms of safety in the water with the orca I would have no no qualms
0: yeah well, I was—I went up to Shetland a few years ago, and we saw the orca there. I didn't get in the water with them, but saw them from the shore. And I was keen to get in because I was told that they—they eat herring. And I thought, well, okay, like like yeah, I was like, oh, I'll be fine. But then I saw one nail a seal and rip it to pieces, and I was just like, oh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> okay, I mean, like I, I, people have got in with them and said they've been fine, and I and I believe orcas—they're intelligent animals. I think they'd know that you're not a seal. They'd look at you. They they get they. They'll think you're not a, but it's whether they think, well, it's not a seal, but can I still have a munch?
1: Oh, I'm gonna eat him anyway. <laughs> yeah,
0: so um, you know, and I know I don't think there's ever been a, anyone that's died from a killer whale in the wild, as far as I'm aware. But I, I wouldn't want to be the first. So yeah, I think with those marine mammal specialist orcas, I yeah. would be a little bit nervy around. But It'd still be cool. It'd still be amazing to see them for sure. No,
1: they're, they're beautiful. They are beautiful creatures. Yeah. So- but it's a bit unnerving watching them come up from the depths you just see this patch of white and you're like oh god what is that
0: yeah I bet I think whenever you're in deep water if you're in that that blue water particularly when you can't see land and then you just look down and there's nothing your imagination just runs wild doesn't it? I think only really divers and snorkelers are going to ever experience that but you are just like what is looking up at me because there will be something down there that's like hmm what's that
1: yeah well you've got this sensory deprivation haven't you, you sort of it's weird because you're surrounded in neoprene s- submerged in water you can't hear anything but yeah your senses are super alive it's like ev- ev- you can feel everything you can hear everything as loudly as if you didn't have all of this neoprene on
0: yeah it's pretty like, unique experience isn't it
1: superpowers
0: <laughs> yeah more or less uh, well, look, Jess, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you and kind of get a peek into some of these. Uh, I was going to say they're not they're not issues. That's not the right word. But there's some of these topics, shall I say, in, in our in our industry. So it's great to kind of hear your viewpoint on them.
1: It's been great to actually discuss them, to be honest, Jack, uh, because they are things that I think a lot of people have made talking about them just because they don't want to create some sort of I don't know, argument about things and actually you know they exist so why don't we talk about them and actually make them not a thing or yeah. try and address why it is a thing and make it less so
0: yeah no I think so it's it's healthy to kind of freshen it out it's almost like a you're just hiding it away when there's nothing wrong with talking about it and and maybe it'll help a few people hopefully it will we'll see
1: yeah well i i hope so um yeah. and, you know if, if anyone has any questions uh that's listening that wants to talk about underwater stuff or cameras or diving or um just has any questions about anything just get in touch
0: <laughs> yeah i can vouch for that jess is a lovely person and she'll certainly certainly help you out well look jess i'll uh, i'll catch you soon thanks for coming on
1: thanks for having me speak to you soon
0: That was Jess Mitchell. Some interesting points that often people shy away from, and I think we both came out of it with our careers intact. There's a link to Jess's Instagram in the description, so if you want to reach out to her, that's one way. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, at TitBearded, and there's the Facebook group, The Bearded Tits Podcast. If you could also leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on, that really helps the podcast out. Next week, I'm chatting to wildlife cameraman Bertie Gregory who has worked on several Attenborough series, as well as presenting content for National Geographic. We talk about being self-critical of your own work, if what you film really does make a difference, and urban leopards. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Chat Perks, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.